the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammer lock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. All right, we are here for the Total Bees Cheese Podcast. I am the producer, the monkey, Chris Maxwell. The hired help. The the goon. (laughs) The goon and that that very, very distinctive voice you hear is uh, none other than Mr. Mike Davidson. And this is uh, this is your barbecue, man. Well, you should have said the first ever Total B She Show. It is the to- first ever Total B She Show. Yes, yes, it is. You know, it's funny because people are going to be like, "What in the world is Total B She's?" Well, that's that's the first thing I was going to say. Like for the layman out there, what is B She's? Oh, it won't be a short definition. No, it's oh. going to take me about ten minutes to get through it. All. Well, well, give it to me. Hit it. Okay, hit me. Sock so me, sock it to me. There is a language that professional wrestlers speak that derives from the original carnival circuit, and it's called Carney. I'm not going to tell you anything about Carney yes. because it's a secret. It's a secret right, language. Exactly. But I am going to abuse my Winnipeg wrestling brethren, and I'm going to talk about lazy carn, which is a derivative of Carney. And basically what it is, is lazy carn, is um, you take the first syllable of each word and you add E's to it. Right. So for me, I would be me's D's, right? My, right. my very good friend Jeff Wallace is G's we's. And so B's she's, you can pretty much guess, is a two-word word put yeah, together yeah. and it I've carny I lazy carned it right. to be bees she's and what is a podcast but a podcast is two or three people getting together and just shooting the shooting the she's shooting the she's just just bsing yeah. right? right so that's what this podcast is really going to be is just you and I getting together and and me telling stories and sharing insights and and stuff that I've gone through mostly with my life through wrestling but I've also done a few other things that are kind of unique and interesting. And people will say, oh, he's so full of BS. But most of the stuff I'm going to tell, I can verify as true. Right. Okay. So now we've gotten out of the, We know what B's she's yeah. is. Uh, you just said you were going to talk about wrestling. You're going to talk about, you know, the state of wrestling, things like that. What qualifies you, Mike Davidson, to talk about anything? Well, I could talk about girls, too. That's true. I could talk about sports. I could talk about investing. I could talk about anything. Right. But you ask what qualifies me to talk why, about why, wrestling. Why should we take you seriously? Well, you have to take me serious. Because I'll make fun of you if you don't take me serious. Oh, fair enough. But realistically, what have I done in order to talk about it in a podcast? Well, I've done some things of note. Like, I don't know, I was able to line up an investor to put in a large amount of money into a wrestling project and had TV in the United States. And before that, I had TV in Canada. That wasn't exactly easy to do. Not a lot of people could do that. Now, there might be 50 or 100 top-ranked wrestlers who can have five-star matches, but there might only be five or six people who can say they lined up six, seven-figure investment capital. So that would sort of qualify me to be able to say, okay, he did something. Either he knows how to work mark money, or he maybe was qualified enough to to be able to build something. Uh, take your pick. And, and both those reasons are valid. I sound defensive. You sound a little. <laughs> it's okay though. But uh, to me, both those reasons are valid. Yes. I mean, some people say, "Oh, you just got some mark money." So what? You get it. Yeah, it's not easy. Yeah, trust exactly, me. Exactly. I, I'll tell you. Over the course of episodes, I'll share how hard it was. But it's it's funny because. I'm not doing this because I'm qualified to do it, and I'm not doing this because I have some pipe dream that it's going to be huge, although I demand every one of my friends listen to the show. That's right. Because if you're going to support me, you, you're you going to support me, and I'm going to call you every day and ask you if you've listened. I'm going to quiz you. But 
it's it's like I want to have fun with this and I want to entertain people and I'm going to make them laugh more than anything, but I'm also going to enlighten them. I'm going to offer insight. I'm going to offer advice. And if you listen, if you're an independent wrestler or an independent wrestling promoter, you need to listen to this podcast because you're going to hear little tidbits where you're going to write it down in a notepad and go, well, I already thought of that, but he, but I'm going to go further and explain how you can actually take my insight and, and build with it. Put it to work. Yeah. Yeah. But then if you're an independent wrestling fan, you should want to listen because I'm going to talk about how important you are to the entire equation of the wrestling industry and, and especially wrestling economics at an independent local level. Okay. So we're going to talk about all those sorts of things. We're also going to talk a little bit about, uh, uh, do you want to mention the, the show that you want to talk about? Oh, yes. We're going to talk about the show yes. Heels. Starting next episode, we're uh, going to break down all eight episodes of season one of the TV series Heels. And it's amazing because I hear people rave about it. Oh, it was so good. And the thing is, it was dramatic. And I'm going to tell you things that are very, very accurate about that series. I'm going to tell you things that are a little bit far-fetched. Right. And things that kind of, like if it happened in the locker room with a good booker, it wouldn't happen. But more importantly, if you thought Heels was good and you thought that show was entertaining and, and amazing, the stories I'm going to tell you about Winnipeg wrestling are you're going to blow your mind. You're going to, there's more. I know more drama in the local wrestling scene than I saw in that series for sure. Yeah, and you know, as somebody who is sort of uh, peripherally part of the Winnipeg scene, I've heard a lot of the stories. I've been, peripherally, uh, I've been a part of the stories. Are you yeah. Peripherally, yeah. You cl- your claim to fame is you wrestled Kenny Omega. Uh, it was a battle royal, but I was in there. <laughs> I was in there. Yeah, uh, I was. I in, never wrestled Kenny Omega. Yeah, I was in there with with Kenny Omega. Not that that's a big deal. He chopped me, but uh, yeah. Um, it was it was good time, and I uh, I did some stuff, and there's definitely there's definitely ribs in Winnipeg wrestling. There's oh. definitely um, shenanigans. There's stuff that I like. There's ribs that I can't. I won't talk about. Like I just will not talk about them. Um, but you do not have that same problem. You will talk about the ribs. Oh, I get accused of them all. I might as well talk about them, that, right? Like well, that's exactly every it. rib that's ever been pulled in the city of Winnipeg around wrestling. Mike Davidson had to be in on it, and uh, <laughs> oh, I, I still believe you're the Rokeby River. No, I, I know you've told you you've denied it every every yeah. time I see you. I, I now I, we got to tell that story, but I'm not going to tell n- it right now. No, the, yeah, that, that's sorry to late, bait and switch. Late, We're not going to talk about the town of Rokeby today. I've seen some really ridiculous ribs, and I've been accused of really ridiculous ribs. And I, you know, like I'll give you an example. Yeah, let's let's go with like what's the most ridiculous? No, no, not sharing it yet. Okay. And I'm not oh. I'm not holding back either. I just there's there's some I don't there's some that I want to hit at the right time. Gotcha. Right, and today isn't the right time. But I'll tell you one of the worst things that ever happened in a Winnipeg wrestling locker room, and I'm not going to tell you the victim because I like the victim a lot. He's right. a great guy. And he was victimized. It was awful what happened to him. He goes out and wrestles a match, and they're wrestling in a venue that doesn't have bathrooms in the dressing room. Right. So he's got a big gulp that he bought from Seven Eleven, which is like a fountain soda yeah. pop, and and he's uh, and it, you know he's drinking it, and then he goes out and wrestles, his, and his soda pop's still there, and you know obviously he's going to come back and want to take a sip of it, right? And while he's out there wrestling. The the booker whose initials are W S, uh, <laughs> people are going to guess the wrong guy on that. Yeah, he needed to relieve himself, and so he proceeded. He had no other place to do it, so he did it in the big gulp glass, right. thinking that it was empty and and trash, right? Which unfortunately wasn't. The guy comes back from wrestling his match. He's all tired out, and and he takes a sip, and then he pauses for a second, and there may have been a second sip. I actually wasn't there for it, but I know the story, and it's legitimate. 
And then he said, ah, who, who pissed in my big gulp? And the, the booker, whose initials are WS, WS. <laughs> said, oh, that would be me. And the guy's like, oh, come on. Like, you think that would never happen. Like, no. trust me, I've been around the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, right? CFL team. They don't go around pissing in each other's big cups. No, right? no, nobody pisses in cups. Yeah, <laughs> it happens in wrestling locker rooms. Yes. And stu- stupid stuff like that. But it, it's not something that you would see everywhere. Okay, so we'll, we'll come back around to the rivers because I've, I've, I've got a few things here to talk I will, about. Before the end of the episode, I'm going to share a rib or two. Uh, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so what have indie promoters, in your opinion, done right and wrong in the past 25 years. Okay, so you're really changing changing speeds uh, yeah, on me. We're, we're, we're going to get serious we're, here. We're going to switch gears. Okay. I'm going so, I'm going I'm to turn the screws to you, Mike Davidson. Okay. So, I broke in in 1995, right? And I was a teenager in high school, and my first promoter was Wayne Stanton. And Wayne Stanton uh, ran River City Wrestling. There's that WS again, right? Yeah. They're going to think he goes pissing in cups. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a different WS. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Oh. <laughs> right now, he's sitting there going... <laughs> the guy's spreading lies about me. Um, Wayne was good. My first night refereeing, I was you know, a teenager, and he, he paid me $5 yeah. to, to ref. And I learned a lot refing for Wayne Stanton. And, you know, there's a certain kinship to the guy who gives you your first opportunity. Definitely. And, you know, Wayne and I aren't close anymore, but I always remember him fondly because he, he let me he let me in. Yeah. Right? Like, he he put up the money to promote the show that I that I debuted on. Um. And then I went to work for Ernie Todd, CWF. Ernie's problem was that he sounded like he was perpetually constipated, yeah. like he could die from constipation. Like if it, it was within hours, if he didn't have a movement, he was going to die. Yes. Ugh! <laughs> it's Ernie. That's how he talked, right? Yeah. And, and we all imitated it that way. And he probably doesn't really talk like that. If you interviewed him, he, people would be like, oh, that's a really embellished imitation. But everybody who does the imitation does it does that it, way. Yeah. And Ernie was a dick. And I didn't like working with Ernie, but Ernie was an ambitious dick. He had goals and, and he, he had money and he flaunted that he had money because he owned a transport company. Right. And so I haven't talk, talked about what was right or what was wrong. I'll get into that. No, that's we, we're, we're coloring in the lines. Here. Yeah. So and then from there, I went back. I, I hated every minute of working for Ernie. Ernie, but when I worked for Ernie and Vance Nevada was the booker, I became like the junior heavyweight champion. And so I turned, I changed from refereeing to wrestling. Thanks. And thanks to Ernie. I give him credit. And Vance is a booker. I'll give him credit too. It's very important. I give people credit because sometimes I'll slag them and I yeah. don't want them to say, Oh, you're talking behind my back. No, I'm talking to podcast. Yeah. It's not talking behind your back. But, um, Ernie was a, a dick and, but he, I, because of wrestling for Ernie and Vance Nevada PR work. I was ranked in the PWI 500 in 1997. I, I number 430. I'm going to mention that a lot on the podcast. Like every time I need to qualify myself, right. hey, I was number 430 in the PWI 500 one year. If you need qualification, there you go. Yes. But um, I had a trick. Okay. So here's the thing. I became the most popular babyface, maybe behind Robbie Royce and, and JT Atlas, who became Andy Anderson. They were they were better wrestlers and and they maybe were more over, but I will I will argue I might have been just as over or more over. So I had this thing I did. So the crowd at the community clubs was all young young kids, and they they had they liked certain music, right? Like Backstreet Boys. And because I was a teenager, I could come out to that music, and they would they would react to the song, right? right? So that was my trick to be the most over babyface. I just picked whatever the song was in the top ten. 
that was really popular that I could move to. Right. And I'd come out to that, they'd pop for the song. And and promoter Ernie wasn't smart enough to catch on. He just, oh, Mike Myers is really getting over. And it was the song that was over. And then I'd work the people and they stayed with me a little bit. So because of that experience, I of working for Ernie and working for Wayne, and then I, I wanted to be a booker real bad. And Wayne had been out of the business and nobody liked working for Ernie. So I thought I saw an opportunity to become a booker. And so I, I harassed Stanton and I called him all the time. And I was like, I'm ready to be a booker. I was like not even 20 years old. And I don't know if he took me that serious, but he gave me a chance to book a few shows. And and, uh, and I used what I'd seen in locker rooms and being around the business and being a lifelong fan I used it to be a booker, but I was a Mark booker. Like, yeah. And, and Mark isn't a negative term, but that's really like 19. And I'd been around the business for three or four years. And here I was, you know, running the show with Wayne. Um, but it was a good experience. And then uh, Wayne was really good about giving guys a shot to do things before he fired them. Very, uh, very unqualified but, people often, yeah, as but, I'm saying I was. Yeah. But he'd, he'd give people like you a shot. <sighs> and then. You know, well, eventually he'd kind of turn on you, but... Oh, yeah, he turned on me a couple times. You'd get a shot, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, how are you doing today, Chris? <laughs> he he talked, he, and he'd go into a ring announcer voice. I got a great Wayne Stanton story, and, it, and sorry, it's, gonna, it's not chronological, but I was running Action Wrestling Entertainment in, in 2005, and I had uh, Lex Luger, Buff Bagwell, Billy Kidman... Uh, all in for a show and they all wanted to go up to the merch table and we're, just before we opened the doors but Wayne was already in and he was sitting in the stands and uh, Wayne was as, as well as being a promoter he was a good ring announcer yes so Fantastic. I have to walk them up through the stands to go to the where they're going to sell their their merchandise so I'm walking them up and it's Lex Luger behind me Buff Bagwell behind him and Billy Kidman last so I see Wayne and he's about maybe 20 feet or 30 he's within shouting distance and I say, hello, Wayne. And he's like, Mike Davidson in his ring announcer voice. Yeah. And then Lex Luger, thinking Wayne's important, says, hi, Wayne, Lex Luger. <laughs> and then Buff Bagwell, noticing Lex and I had done it, says, hey, Wayne. <laughs> and he's like, Buff Bagwell. And he's popping like he's, yeah. he's busting a nut on this. And then Billy Kidman goes, hey, Wayne. And Billy Kidman, oh, they all talk to me. And he's like, he's having a moment of his life. Yeah. And then Lex looks at me and goes, who's Wayne? And I said, uh, he's, he's nobody. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was the whole, I called it the Wayne train because Wayne, Wayne, yeah. like, whoa, he, he, his hair was all over the place. You made his day. Oh, I'm going to post a picture of Wayne on social media so you can all get an appreciation of who I'm talking about. So, so I, I take over booking for him and uh, I, I'd learned a lot, but I didn't know anything yet. And then I, I'd gone to college for broadcasting, and I went and worked at a TV station for a year, and I got around athletes and kind of saw a little bit of a different side yeah. of, of the business of sport. Not, not thorough, but I met people and I learned things. Uh, everything in life is a learning experience. And from there, I, uh, I then worked with, um, I came back, and I, I, wasn't, I wasn't interested in getting back into wrestling. I, I, Bobby Jay was running Top Rope Championship Wrestling, and they had a show near my place. And and uh, Shane Madison, also known as my b- very, very close friend of 20, almost five years, Jeez Weez, Jeez Weez. said, hey, uh, dude, <laughs> do you want to go to... I, I, I'm going to kill these imitations. Dude, 
do you want to come to the show tonight? So I was like, yeah, I'll come visit. But I had no interest in wrestling. And I, I don't think I, I, maybe I brought my gear, but I don't think I did. I think I just went and visited. And my cousin, Vance Nevada, who broke me in, was booking and, and we visited. And, and then I agreed I was going to come back and, and wrestle for Bobby J. But Vance was leaving the territory to go to the Maritimes. And somehow, some way, I became Bobby J's booker. So it was my second stint as a booker. And uh, it was my favorite stint as a strictly booker because Bobby, and I'll tell lots of Bobby J stories too eventually, but Bobby gave me some ability to be really creative and gave he gave the guys a lot of work. Like they were working three nights yeah. a week. So you had to stay on top of what was working, what wasn't, and who was like you, you balanced your roster a bit better and you could run storylines because it was weekly sh- shows. So you could gain momentum on, on building characters. So that was kind of my first real good experience booking, and I and I had some success with it. We drew some houses went up, let's say, and uh, I made good friends. and And from there, Bobby fired me as a booker because I became a little egotistical prick. He had every reason to fire yes. me. I'll tell that story on a future podcast too. Um, but he fired me, and uh, the night he fired me, he walked up to me, and this was like after six months on it, and houses had gone up. And he came up and he says, "Hardest thing I ever had to do." Yeah. I'm going to let you go. And I was hot. <laughs> I did not see it coming. So I I stormed into the bathroom after him. He was standing at the urinal. I said, Bobby, the hardest thing you ever had to do isn't fire me. It's replace me. I'm going to put you out of business. And very spiteful and very young, very immature. Some might, some people say I'm still immature. I right. dated a girl said I, I was either the most inconsiderate guy she ever dated or I had the worst case of Peter Pan syndrome she'd yeah. ever seen. I choose to pick the Peter Pan syndrome sure. actually. Um, but I set out to start my own company at that point. And that was my first foray into promoting. I said I was going to tell the story in 10 minutes. Ugh, uh, I'm running long. So that was Premier Championship Wrestling with Andrew Shellcross, who still runs Premier Championship Wrestling. Uh, it's probably the longest running, continuously running promotion in Canada, would it not be? I, uh, I can't think of a longer running promotion. ECCW is now done, so it's not up there. They just they just surpassed twenty years and yeah, because like, they started in March of two thousand two. The only thing, only one I could imagine would be ECCW, and they're, and they're done now. So when did All Star Wrestling start? Probably after that in uh, BC. Yeah, after after that. And Border City's not running right now. No, they're not running. Okay, well, so, uh, just continuously running like PC High did, Impact merged with CWE, so they don't they don't count. They yeah. would have been though, probably. Yeah, they were before. Yeah. Um, it, well, it doesn't really matter that they're the longest. But running. it's a long time, though. I mean, it's it's impressive. Like, you have to, I mean, the, the work that you and Andrew did together is impressive, but you have to sort of give him a I give him a ton of credit. Give him a tip of I the give, hat for I give him a ton going. of credit. Yeah. I, I'm ha- proud to call him my friend. Yeah. And now I'm going to offer him some insight and cr- a little bit of critical Of course you are. So the problem with PCW... Oh, here we go. Are we getting, are we getting right into it? <laughs> oh, oh, I hope I don't make him mad. Okay, here we go. Let's go. So the problem with PCW... Let's talk about the strength of PCW. Yeah. It survived. Well, well, co- it, let's try the compliment sandwich. Yeah. Good, bad, good. It survived, and it helped develop a lot of significant talent. Yes. Recently, your buddy, Rob Stardom, yep. he's my buddy too, he said that Winnipeg was the toilet bowl of wrestling, and man, was I offended. At, yeah. one, po- at one point, it was known as that, and I, I couldn't believe he'd let anybody say that. Maybe he said that. Yeah. But it, it, that's unfair, because Winnipeg developed some really good talent. Mentolo could work anywhere in the country yeah. every freaking night of the week. Absolutely. And he, he came up through TRCW, CWF, or CWF, then TRCW, then PCW. So it's not fair to say that. And I can name others too. 
Well, there's t- there's tons of guys that have come out of it, but I can Omega raw I, skills. I can see. I can like I don't Shane ag- Madison. I don't agree with the toilet bowl. Thing, no, it's but, a bullshit but, comment. But I can see B she's comment at one point in time. It was pretty. It was pretty politicky. And, so what? But like very juvenile. No, like the message board era. Come on. I was one of the victims of the message board and, era, and, and one, one of the, the participants. <laughs> I was the real McCoy and I, Del Pedrick, and I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna say, if you were not gonna take a take, a, take, a, I get a blamed yeah, for a whole bunch of aliens that, that weren't mine. Yeah, but okay, so let me tell you what. Okay, okay, we're gonna yeah. get off topic yes. here, but I want to talk about this. All right, let's do it. There's gonna be something that's gonna come out here. I don't believe in cancel culture, right? Right. I, I don't. That's an apologist way to live, in yeah. my opinion. Things happen. Right? And we have to accept them. I did things stupid when I was younger, and they're going to come out. People are going to say, oh, what about this? And I'll be like, yeah, I I did it. I was stupid. Yeah. And if you want to, if I get canceled for it, you know what? I've grown up a lot since then, and I'll own it. Right? Yes. So the good thing about that era of Winnipeg wrestling is nobody could be comfortable as a promoter. You had to try your freaking hardest all the freaking time. Yeah. You could not. So, how that all derived that derives from nineteen. I was in when it became like that. Yeah. So what happened was, Stanton closed down shortly thereafter. Bobby Collins and K Man Broda, the late K Man yep. Broda, and I wish we could dedicate this show to him because I could. I want to talk a lot about him before we end. I want to talk yes. about K Man, but they started CWF, and I think it started with Frank Starr before that, and then Ernie bought it out. And Ernie took it over, and Ernie was a dick. Yeah. And he didn't treat people right. Anybody that worked for Ernie for any length of time will have a story where Ernie didn't treat people very well. But the wrestlers didn't always treat Ernie very well either. No. Let's be honest. Accountable. 100%. So because Ernie didn't treat me well, when Wayne wanted to start up, I was the first guy to say, I'll do whatever it takes, right? And Stanton started up, and he got lucky, and he got Shane Madison, Will Damon, and... Uh, J.C. Dirks and Donnie DiCaprio, three of which were trained by Cyrus, Cyrus Don yeah. So we gained some momentum and gave Ernie a bit of a run, but we didn't overtake Ernie. But then Bobby saw the p- potential from er- from right. Stanton. What you'd done there. And he tried to buy River City Wrestling and Stanton double-crossed him. So then Bobby started Top Rope Championship Wrestling. And Bobby, you can say he was adolescent or immature, whatever you want to say. But he went out there and he was a hustler and he got yeah. as many dates as he could. And he said to the boys, listen, I'm not going to offer guarantees to, on payoffs, but I'm going to offer a lot of dates. So for a really green roster, they were getting in the ring two or three times in front of a crowd a week. Yes. Right? And some shows did better than others. And he, he hustled and got guarantees. And there was some money some nights and little or no money other nights. But that's independent wrestling when you break in. So during that era, it got pretty bad because Ernie didn't want to lose his market and Bobby was equal. They, they sunk to a level, but at the same time, at that exact same time, Ernie was bring, was running Le Rendezvous and drawing some really good houses, and he advertised Sabu, and Sabu didn't make it. He brought Steve Carino in, yeah. brought Dan Severin in. He started bringing in outside talent, and Paul Diamond was in town and working for Ernie at that time. So Bobby, to counter what Ernie was doing, this is when fans had it the best. Yes. Because we were trying to outdo each other, right? And so uh, Bobby brought in Jim the Anvil Neidhart, 
and we drew 430 people. So it was neck and neck. I've heard stories that La Rendezvous had 400 people when Sabu No showed. I was there. It might have been 400, but it didn't stay. Hot. Their their houses didn't stay. Yeah. And within six months, Ernie really couldn't do anything in Winnipeg. Half his crew quit on him because they all wanted to come work for Bobby, who'd gained momentum. I just happened to be the booker at the time, not to pat myself on the back. So, oh, man. People are going to be like, oh, this is so boring. It's so Winnipeg wrestling. But the tactics I talk about are things that you can do in in your local office. Yes. So there's something I believe that nobody else believes. Your talent should be local, locally exclusive. And I don't care who wants to debate me on that. It is more valuable that it's more valuable on every single level if wrestlers work for one package. Because a promoter needs to be able to market it as different than the other show, right? So why is it why is it that Mentalo, I don't know if Mentalo works for one. I think he only works for CWE local, but um, any guy, uh, Antonio Scorpio, Nate Hardy, any guy, right? Name him, Adam Knight, yeah, right. Rob Stardom, Na- name anyone, right? I, I don't want to make anyone an example. If you're if you only wrestle for one company then you should be able to say to that promoter, hey, I'm working exclusively for you. I'm on your team, and this is what I want per night. Uh, yeah, I want a guaranteed payoff. Yeah, and it, and be reasonable. Yes. The economics are what they are, and I'm going to talk about the economics. But if you wrestle for everybody, and one guy charges $10, and one guy charges 15 and one guy charges 5 you're only worth $5 if you wrestle for $5. Yeah, that's that's the, the independent contractor part where they need to be their own advocate, though. Like if Mentolo is wrestling for P- PCW for ten dollars, he need that that's his price everywhere. If that or more, not less. So, okay. So no, no, I'm not saying his payoff is ten dollars. No, I, I, I assume I'm going to get an email from Mentolo. No, that's an example. I'm He's, talking about yeah. what the fans pay to see the show. Precisely. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I'm so I'm if you're saying a professional as a, as a contractor, if yeah. if they're if they're working for all these guys X Y Z to your point. It is up to them to charge. Yeah, but they don't. They're not honest. Yeah, and I'm not well, going to say be. they're dishonest. Yeah, but they but they'll charge one guy one thing and then say, oh, no one talks about money. Yeah, right. But everyone knows. Yes, right. Like I've been the payoff guy. I I've dealt with it. Right. Oh no, my rate is this locally. It's not. Yeah, I know that. So you think? So so realistically, what should a ticket price be on a local independent wrestling show? Let me be very honest with you. If a movie costs $13.50, then why is a local wrestling show worth more than $13.50? Now, I'm not undervaluing what it yes. is here, but let's talk about value proposition, right? Promoters are saying, what, what's value proposition, right? Write it down, value proposition. Now, take a look at, I'm going to give you the local market I'm in, Winnipeg, okay? And American promoters who are sitting there going, that that's... Stupid Canadian doesn't know what he's talking about. Take a look at what your minor league affiliate baseball team makes in your market. Take a look at what your your professional football team charges in the market, your professional hockey team, your professional baseball team, and, and use that as a gauge, okay? And then take a look at what, you know, the local racetrack charges, what the movie theater charges. Think of what the entertainment value is to who you're trying to draw now. Realistically, movie theaters thirteen fifty in Canada. How do you justify a local wrestling ticket being worth more? Who would you rather see? 
Well, I mean, yeah, you, you, you're going to go see Bruce Willis or you're going to go see... Bruce Willis is retired and his Netflix movies near the end weren't that good. Yeah, but you're going to go see Bruce Willis... Tom or Cruise. Gonna, or you're going to go see... Top Gun. Yeah. Right? That's going to be the biggest or movie you're gonna, of the summer. You're going to go see, you know, whoever X Y Z. Now, here's what guy. happens when you go to a movie theater for an hour and forty minutes. You're a, you're entertained, right? Even if the movie's bad, it's still valuable. So wrestling promoters now have to look at it and say, well, how are we more valuable than that? Now, live action. Okay, so compare it to local theater, local independent theater. What do you think they're charting? They're only charting what the market will bear. One of the traps independent wrestling promoters fall into is they market to their fan base and only their fan base. Right. A local wrestling promoter in almost every market knows the the, the goal is 150 fans. Trust me, I yeah. I know that is the the number. That's the magic number that the business plan is built to profit on. 100 fans you're going to break even, 150 you've had a great night, 50 fans was lean and you're going to the boys and you're sheepishly yeah. telling them how bad it was. Now imagine any business in the world where you were where you only wanted that small of a market. And independent wrestling promoters are running once a month because it's a side gig. It's not the serious business, right? Nobody very few wrestling promoters write a business plan. And if you have, email it to me. I'd love to look at it. Yes. I'll give you feedback. I might even rewrite it for you. You got to stop thinking about 150 fans that you already have. A lot, one third of them are going to come to every one of your shows and two thirds of them are going to come to over half your shows. And then on a good night, you're going to get all three, all three thirds. Now start target marketing. Realize how are you going to build your market? Stop thinking about the 150 fans who are the most valuable fans you've got because you're they're They're your dedicated audience. Absolutely. The most valuable you've got, but they're loyal to you. So you don't have to work hard to keep them happy. You just have to listen to them and value them, right? You shouldn't be marketing to them. You should. It should be as simple as an email and a, and a notification of when the next date is. What you have to do is realize the most valuable market you can go after as a wrestling promoter is moms. And nobody realizes that. You're going to market to women? Yes, you're going to market to moms. You see, dads, dads will take their son to wrestling if dad's a fan. And dad and dad thinks it's cool, but dads sometimes and no offense to dads, but they can be a little bit lazy. They've worked hard and they and they're they're right. not. They'll take their their son or daughter to a football game or a baseball game or a hockey game because they want to go see that game, right? But but they often they might be WWE fans, but they're probably they may not like local wrestling, right? They think it's bush league, but moms moms will take their kid anywhere if it's going to put a smile on their kid's face. Yes. Right, moms are much more likely to sit through the show and enjoy watching Junior or Little Sally have fun watching the show. Trust me, my best friend Sean Brown, and I'll never just call him Sean; it's always Sean Brown. And one <laughs> time he's going to be on here, I'm sure of it. Anyway, he, I watch him with his daughter when he takes her to a WWE event, and she has the time of her life. He has more fun watching her than watching the show. Yeah, right. Wrestling promoters don't think about this. And if you tell a wrestling promoter, hey, how about you drop $500 in radio advertising? Are you kidding? I'll never get it back. Yeah. But if you, but realistically, if you're a wrestling promoter with a marketing plan and you decide you're going to drop $500 every single show, like it's a cost of doing business on radio advertising, you might not see it back the first time, but six months down the road when you're drawing 200, 300 fans and everyone's talking about the houses you're drawing, 
all of a sudden you're gonna you're gonna see dividends. I and, yeah, and I I can confirm that as somebody who is in the broadcasting yes. industry, that's what I often told people when you go on remote live on location remotes. They're like, why aren't the why aren't people why aren't people flocking? Well, you are you really gonna leave your baseball game because you heard a car dealer is having a sale? Yeah. Or are you gonna remember that the car dealer is having a sale and <laughs> check it out when you have a chance? So the biggest investor I ever had in wrestling used to always tell me ah. Radio advertising, it's not worth it. Yeah. And I'd be, that's how we talked. <laughs> I tried to do imitations. <laughs> um, and the reality is that if you, don't, if you don't understand advertising, he's right. Because he I used to ask him to drop 5,000 on a yeah. show, but we were, these were massive events. Ah, we'll never see a return. Listen, you got to build your brand. Yeah. You got to build your credibility. And that's what radio advertising will do for you. Newsprint is dead. But you should have a Facebook campaign, a radio campaign. Do a deal with your local radio station where you where they're giving away tickets, and and you're you're going to partner with them not on one event but five events, and they yeah. might they might cut you a deal on your ads, and they will, yeah, and make them the the uh, the presenting spot uh, presenting sponsor, and then all of a sudden fans who like that radio station are like, well, if they're on board, I'll go check this out. It, leg- right? it legitimizes it yeah. as well. And f- name me how many wrestling promoters are doing that. None. Well, I'm sure there are none locally that I I've ever right heard. now. No, 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 and 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 they're missing it. Yeah. So what are moms listening to is the next question, right? They're listening to country music. Yeah. So you should be on the country music station, but <laughs> because the wrestling promoter is a rock fan, you well, I don't listen to country. Why would I advertise on there? Because you want to target a brand new fan base. So imagine this: you start drawing the moms, and you get fifty of them. Guess that that's two tickets, mom and junior, and sometimes three because they'll bring Johnny's little friend or little Sally's friend or two two kids. Once they have a great time, they're going to come back half the time. Yes. That's your return on investment. The cost to acquire the customer was $500. How many times they come is your return on investment. And they don't get it, and they never will. No, pe- people don't get it, and, and you're, you're completely right with the country music thing. Like I, when somebody was running a show when I was in Yorkton, Saskatchewan, I pushed really hard for them to get radio advertising. Yeah. And, you know, because I wanted them to do well. Yeah. And it was, oh, maybe we should do it with the Fox. That was the sister, our sister station, the Hot AC, you know. Hot AC is a good a- format and for I, moms. And I said, well, I think you should go with us. We've got a gigantic broadcast pattern. Mm-hmm. We reached all the way up to Swan River. And we are, we are targeting soccer moms. That's what our station targeted. Yep. I said, I think you should go with us. I hope every promoter in town and the, in North America is writing this down. So I, I'm frustrated with promoters, but I also see hope in promoters. So like CWE, for instance, they, in their heyday before the pandemic, yeah. they'd run 40, 40 date tours. In a Massive, row. yeah. And I love it. It's ambitious. Yes. It's ballsy. There's things he did right, and there's things he did wrong. And that's my buddy, Danny yeah. Warren. And the thing is that he he's building his market. He's working his tail off to build the market. Yeah. There's things he could do better, but he he's not the easiest guy to call. And I, I love you, Danny, but he's not the easiest guy to call and offer advice. You know why? Because the standard, he should have this on a T-shirt. Hey, this is how the conversation will go. Hey, Danny, I got this idea. What's that? I think you should improve your advertising budget in your in your markets. I know what I'm doing. That's what should be on his yeah. T-shirt. That's the standard Danny response. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, I know what I'm doing. It's working. Yeah. Okay. Every I've just told you that promoters have that magic number of 150 fans. That's what they. That's what they're. 
they build the whole plan around. They're not thinking, how do I get 300? Now, there's a problem in some venues, right? They run smaller buildings. They can't yeah. get 300 fans. But wouldn't they love to sell the, sell the place out, right? Wouldn't yeah. they love to be turning business away and then they can come back more frequently or they create the buzz and the loyalty and people are buying tickets earlier and they know they have a better format. Advertising is very important. They know, oh, I'm on Facebook. Yeah. Every business owner that said, I'm on Facebook, struggled in some way, guaranteed. If that's all they want to do for marketing, they struggle in some way. So the things Danny does right is he's ambitious and he's, and he's out there in every market that he, in, yep. in the country, right? I love that. But there are things he could do better, and it starts with advertising. He's the same guy that calls every media outlet and gets as much earned media as yep. he can get. It is so much easier to get more media when they know you're an ad buyer. Yeah. Even if you're not on that station. Yeah, you can, right? get, you can get some free love. Yeah, so when you're on one station, they're going to have your guys in the studio. But the other station wants you to buy there, so they're going to roll out the red carpet a couple times to get you yeah. into the studio because they want you to buy from them in the future. Right? It's You scratch my back, I scratch your back. As the market becomes healthier, you can move into bigger venues, and you can get a little bit more ballsy, right? Now, here's what Danny will say to me. Mike, you never made money, so shut up because I make money. Thank you, Danny. Yeah. You're 100% right. I wasn't tasked with making money. In any, in the wrestling ventures I did with an investor, I was not told to make money. As a booker for Bobby J, we made money. But I was not told to make money with, I was told to make money with John Newen in PCW. I was not told to make money with Jeff Dick in AWE right. or WFX. I was told to build a television entity. Completely different bird. Completely, absolutely. And I mean, at the end of the day, that was making money was kind of on him. No. No. Somebody had to make the money. Hold who, it. Who made the money? Who it. made the Hold money? Hold it. Hold it. The economics of running a business is you're going to have startup costs, right? Right. So you're going to, so you open up a restaurant, how much are you going to be in for? 300000 Probably, yeah. Something yeah, like that. Something like that, yeah. right? If you open up a business in construction, you've got to buy equipment, right? And you've got to start up. It's going to cost you some money. And you're, it's going to be lean at first, right? That's what w, WFX... This was startup capital. I thought we had a million dollars for three years, right? Actually, I said, we're going to lose a million dollars in the first year if you want me to do what you want me to do. Yeah. And I've told this story before. I'll tell it quickly again. When he started WFX in 2010, he said, ah, I want you to build something. Uh, that I'm doing a bad imitation right <laughs> now because my voice is dry. But um, he said, I want you to build something that's in on par with TNA. Right. And they just signed Hogan. I couldn't do it. I said... So I said, well, you know, let me look at what's out there for talent. I said, but if you don't have a million dollars, this is a this is an unrealistic dream. Yeah. He said, oh, I'm buying a TV studio, and I want you to, I want you to build me a TV entity. I did it. I, I succeeded at it. In fact, 100% success. We got on TV in more markets in the United States than anywhere else. So, but I had an I had a very healthy talent budget. I told him we were going to be in a million dollars year one, and probably three quarter of a million dollars in year two. So 1.75 after year two. Year three, I was going to strive to break even, but we still might lose a half million. Right. So we'd be in at 2.25 million, right? But we'll have a North American entity. We'll have great talent. We'll have a great product. And if you check out YouTube, WFX Overload, I stand by those episodes, even against today's standards. Eric Cannon and Darren Corbin stole every scene they were in. Yeah. Johnny Fairplay stole every scene he was in. Eugene stole every scene he was in. Gangrel. Kevin Thorne stole every scene they were in. Michael Elgin, Bob Hawley, Charlie Haas. I'm going to drop a bunch of names here. Yeah, I'm a name dropper. Yeah. 
it was exactly what he signed up for. Problem was that he said he had money, and he did have the money. He had it when he when when, when he shook hands. Yeah, when to he do said it. he had it, he'd had it until Canadian Revenue agencies started not minding their own business, started looking into how he raised it, and they froze his accounts. And then he didn't have the money, and that's why the company didn't last. Okay, so fair enough. So you've talked now about what what the promoters are doing wrong, and 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 there's no, no, there's I, a myriad of things. But let's just stick with we'll just stick with advertising for now. So what what are they doing right? Oh, I see some real hope here. I see. Uh, so there's a company called Real Canadian Wrestling in Alberta. They've been running 19 years. They're running weekly. Yeah. And that impresses me. Yeah. And they're up in the market against uh, in Alberta against Can-Am Wrestling. And I really like what they've started doing. I've seen pictures of their shows. And it looks like it's a real professional presentation. Yeah. One of the things you have to do, and Winnipeg Pro Wrestling did here this weekend, search it out on the internet. Look at their pictures. Yeah. Their venue looked major league. It did. It looked great. So when the fans come in blow their mind before they even see wrestling. See, oftentimes wrestling promoters think what happens between the three ropes and four posts is the most important part. And they, all they think about is the matches. Think about the presentation, right? And I'm seeing good presentation. NEW in BC is also trying to do that. All-Star Wrestling in BC. Yeah. There are promoters right now that are really slick with their presentation. That's what you need to do. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's all bishis. It's all bishis. It's all bishis. If you can't, if you can't dazzle them with substance, baffle them with bishis. It's a common saying. Yeah. So I'm seeing the promoters are actually trying to aesthetically improve the product, right? And they're doing a good job. Now, here's another thing. Again, I'm constructively giving promoters ideas. Promoters think, oh, we got to put a poster out. We got to put eight wrestlers on the poster. Don't, don't do that. Why are you doing that? Are you doing it to satisfy the egos of eight wrestlers? Because what you need to do is find the two that look the best. Yeah. Does Porsche put buy a billboard and put eight different models of their Porsche? Because people wouldn't understand what they're looking at. Oh, there's eight cars on that billboard. But if you put one fancy Porsche on that billboard, you've created brand loyalty. So you got to take the most aesthetically pleasing wrestlers and you got to put them on the poster. Now, if that's a hot girl, a hot female wrestler, you put her on the poster. If it's a jacked up dude, you put him on a poster. Put your most aesthetic foot forward. I saw Vance Nevada on a poster for All-Star Wrestling. Aesthetically pleasing? No, never has been, right? He doesn't have a name. There's no point in putting him. You can put him in the marketing material, but you should not put him as your front and center on a poster. Meanwhile, they have Jace Darcy on the poster. The guy looks like a million dollars. He should be on the poster. Scotty Mack should be on the poster. Yeah. Bobby Sharp, when he was healthy, should be on the poster. Guys, they they make a commitment to look that way, put them on the poster. Mentolo belongs on the poster because yeah. kids see the mask and they think, oh, that looks cool. When Kenny Omega was locally based, he belonged on the poster. People will buy a ticket. Because ba- when you see a poster, what are you buying? The picture. You're buying the picture, 100%. Exactly. So stop. I saw Moses Luke on a picture, and I, I love Moses Luke. I worked with him 20 years ago. But he's not the guy you put on a poster. Yeah. Right? He He's a guy that when they see him wrestle, they'll go, oh, he was pretty good. Kevin Chevy and AJ Sanchez. There was a reason why they were marketed the heaviest in WFX. Heaviest. Uh, if you watch episode one of WFX Overload, you're going to think, God, he was. I was so unprofessional with what I said about Chevy, unfortunately. He I, he owed me one, and he's, he's taken it up on me. Yeah. But here there were two guys that looked a certain way. 
they were they were not in shape. They were overweight, but they could do everything. Yeah. They were the most talented tag team in North America, in my opinion, and could be again today, even 12 years later. Yeah. Now, you don't put them on the poster at first. We had to establish them as that dominant beast team who could do all those high spots, right? Right. If you do that, then you get them on the poster when people are buying into those two guys. But in the, at, when you're trying to create a new audience. You're not catering to the 150 that you already can count on. One third comes to every show, two thirds come to half the shows, and every third show you should be able to get all three thirds. You gotta go after the new market and it's gotta be aesthetically pleasing and they don't get it. They don't get it. I could go through 50 different posters where there's like 11 guys on the poster and it's like, and here's another thing. If you're the promoter, booker slash wrestler, don't put yourself on the poster. Especially when you got a WWE name on there, put the WWE name on there. Put the next, put two that are aesthetically pleasing next to them. Okay. So you've talked about. I made that mistake. You've talked about working now with, with indie guys. You've talked about working with guys like Bob Holly, Eugene, like these names, these big guys. So who, who, who do you prefer to work with? Who do you like to work with the most? Is it more difficult working with those big names? Are they really the prima donnas that like, like Bob Holly, for example, let's, let's go after Bob Holly a little bit. I like Bob (laughs) Holly a lot. I always thought he was a great wrestler, but he has a. Uh, reputation for being a dick, a bit of a dick. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's true or not because I've never met the man, but like you worked with him. I, from all, all indications that I, I've seen you and Bob Holly like each other. You write his book. Yeah. Yeah. He said something very nice about me. Exactly. Uh, you and Bob Holly like each other. So it is, let's just go with Bob Holly. Is, is the, is it true about Bob Holly first off? And then we'll just talk about who you prefer to work with the names or the indie okay, guys. Okay. So 1000% not true. He's not a dick. He was a locker room leader. He watched every segment on the show. He was there to give every guy advice. He would do anything that was asked of him. I could have I could have done it. If I went up to Bob and said, hey, Bob, you know, I want to, I want you to help make this guy. I want you to, right. Well, how do you want to do it? I get his feedback. He would do it. There'd be not even one second of hesitation. He was as professional as anyone I've ever, ever dealt with. Um, so this theory that he's a bully and he's mean, it's hype. Right. I'm sure he has been. I think Rennie Dupree would say for sure. Yeah. He's a prick. <laughs> yeah. Right. And there's other people that have probably encountered that, but I never encountered it. Nobody in the WFX locker room ever encountered it. I was really happy. And I'll tell you the story. When it came to booking Bob Holly, I was hesitant because I would booked him once before and he was fresh out of WWE and he was fine. He was just quiet. Right. And I'm not like, I'm a, let's joke around. Let's rib a little bit. He wasn't that guy at that time. Yeah. So when it came to booking him in 2010, Bob, uh, Billy Gunn called me and he's like, uh, we were trying to get Scott Steiner for a specific spot on the roster. Right. And Scott, the money just wasn't going to work. We tried and the money just wouldn't work. Yeah. So, uh, he said, call Bob Holly. He'll do it. I said, oh, I don't think, I don't The budget is this. He said, Bob doesn't care about money. He's got his own money. It's money isn't yeah. going to be that important. He just wants to come up and, and so he said, call him. He's willing to drive in, which for a promoter, that's like, <laughs> what? No airfare? Yeah. So uh, I called him and uh, he was awesome. And I said, Billy said you drive? Yeah, I want to go to Grand Forks anyway. Why do you want to go to Grand Forks? And his wife 
had been in the Air Force in Grand Forks. Oh. So she wanted to go visit in Grand Forks. Gotcha. So he's like, I'm going to make a trip out of it. And I said, okay, well, this is going to be regular work. He said, if it's regular work, pay me what you can, we'll make it work. I was amazed, amazed. And then he came in and I thought, okay, well, I've seen him. And I remember the night before he was wrestling Gangrel and Kevin Thorne when he came in. And he was, uh, <laughs> Gangrel said, oh, God, I hope Bob's in a good mood. And I said, why is that? And he's like, because you could hit Bob with a pillow and he'll think it's stiff. Yeah. And, <laughs> and Dave, Gangrel is the best. They all were. Every single one of the guys I did business with. Um, so Bob was um, like, he came in, he was smiling. He was excited. He did everything, everything he was asked to do. And if you watch the episodes, you'll see it. But you ask a good question. Imported talent, free agent talent, local talent. I did it all with WFX. I had a budget right. to develop a roster. So I'll tell you something. The locals think I don't like them. And locals are out of touch. They have no idea. Who was the most pushed guys in WFX? It was two local talents, Kevin Chevy and AJ Sanchez. Yeah. So my producer was a guy named Liam Phillips. And he was told one thing when he started pr pr producing our episodes. He was told that you make the program about tag team wrestling and that Kevin Chevy and AJ Sanchez are our top tag team and they're going to win our tag belts. No questions asked. And he knew exactly how to produce them, to build them. He, they, didn't do, they didn't lose a match. They, they, they beat Eric Cannon and Darren Corbin, who were extremely yeah. talented, eclipsing Kamikaze from Alberta, extremely, extremely talented. Uh, Midwest Ground and Air, Ben Saylor and Nate Bash yeah, from Minnesota. Awesome. Amazing yeah. tag team. Uh, Chris Daniels, and they were supposed to be Mentolo, but he ended up getting booked somewhere else and didn't do the final of the tag tournament. Jimmy Jacobs, to make them the best tag team right. in our company. I also We also had a plan to make Danny Duggan a, top, uh, a feature guy, John Cutler. Um, Mentolo was supposed to be a feature guy. So we picked out five talents that we were going to try to make feature talents. Right? You needed to have locals. Yes. It was, for payroll reasons, it made sense. And then we brought in Michael Elgin from, from Ontario. We brought in uh, Bobby Sharp for a show, Eclipsing Kamikaze from Alberta. We brought in Minnesota talent, Aria Davari. Right. So we, so we brought in talent from basically a geographic region that spanned 12 hours away. And then we brought in WWE free agent talent. And I, I loved the, the roster we amassed. Larry Zabisco, commissioner. Started out as a heel manager. Bushwhacker Luke. Let me tell you something. Bushwhacker Luke was the most, one of the most valuable investments we ever made with our talent roster. And I'll tell you why. To this day, if you're, if you're running a show and you can get him in and you're doing anything serious, it's worth every penny. He used to pull me aside and he would tell me what I did wrong. But he did it in such, with such wisdom. Right. And he would tell me what I did right. And he'd tell me what I needed to do better. Now, this is a guy that had booked Puerto Rico, booked Texas, wrestled for WWE, wrestled for Bill Watts, wrestled for NWA Crockett Promotions. He'd done it all, and he'd been around forever. So he, could, he understood the entertainment value we were trying to create. If you watch, we did the funeral of Bushwhacker Luke. Tony Candelo did the eulogy. Right. I think it's episode five. It was so, because I was in over my head. I, I admit it. We were successful, but I was in over my head. 
Luke was a guy who would bring me down to earth and tell me, you know, push this guy. I like what we're doing here. He just, he just, he would level me out. Him, Charlie Haas, yeah. there was a couple others, Bob, Gangrel, Eugene. They all were very important to, so the way it was is for every segment, a former, a, a free agent like Eugene or Gangrel would work with a local talent to bring them up. Right. Teach them how to, to build work, them. To, to, yeah. to teach them how to work TV. Independent talent doesn't understand how to work TV. These guys had all been tight and trained, as they say, WWE experience. So it was to bring that talent up. What I found was the talent that drives in, that flies in, they get put up in a hotel, they are committed to you. They're committed to the opportunity. They don't take it for granted. The, what I found was all the talent would fly in, all the free agent talent would fly in. They'd go to the studio. They'd want to do their pre-tapes. If there was a photographer, they wanted to get their picture taken because they understood that's the money. Right. When a promoter's willing to invest in professional photography and getting pre-tapes and TV time, you want as much of that as you can get. And they, they'd hang around the studio and they, they would go over what creative was and they were ready to do everything asked of them. The talent that came in from out of town that would drive 12 hours, they didn't piss away the opportunity because they wanted to make that road trip every three weeks. What I found was with locals, because they didn't believe it was going to last, they knew better and they ended up being right. But they still had this amazing amusement park right in front of them called WFX. They should have valued it better. They should have been always there to get photography. They should have been there for their pre-tapes. They should have been there to like sponges to learn as much as they could. I find that if it's in your backyard, you take it a little bit for granted. Sure. It's not intentional. You show up at four o'clock on show day because you got to work. You're not going to take the day off work, yeah. right? If you drove in 12 hours, you're not, you're taking a day off work. I, th- I thought they could have done better with what was given to them. But it isn't to criticize them. I love the locals. I wouldn't have been where I was if it wasn't for my ability to work with locals when I booked for TRCW and PCW because we didn't have the budget to bring in names every show. I could, I to this day, I could walk in and book a compelling show with local talent if I saw the local talent two shows so I'd know who right. who, who was and what, what their talent level was. I could put together compelling shows that would build houses. I 100%, with more confidence than anybody else booking right now, I could do that. I believe I could book at a level nationally. Even today, the wrestling business is way different. It caters to men more than caters to kids. I still believe, give me two weeks to immerse myself, I could do it. I don't want to do it. There's not a part of me that wants to do it, but I could do it. See, and that's where I'm going to question you a little bit. I'm going to, uh, you know, maybe push back a little bit there because I've heard a lot of people say, and I don't know how I feel about it, but I've heard a lot of people say, Mike Davidson's got the itch. It's perpetual, and he's got it more than ever right now. So, confession. Last Grey Cup in the Canadian Football League final, which is our pro football league, there was 35,000 fans at the Grey Cup game, I think it was. Yeah. I was on the sidelines with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, right? So that to me was like a career highlight. Right. WFX and Grey Cup game are right up there. I have a relationship with the team that I love, that I stumbled into. And 
I don't have any itch and I'll tell you why the 12 years that I haven't done it. Um, I didn't, I didn't miss it. I didn't watch it. Right. Right. I, I couldn't tell you who the WWE roster is. I could tell you the all elite roster cause I, I'm compelled to watch a little bit of that. Yeah. I could too. tell you the NWA roster a little bit cause I, I tune into that on YouTube yeah. here and there, but I couldn't tell you the WWE roster saved my life because it's, too much. It, well, to be honest with you, and I mean, I don't, I don't want to be. It seems very hip to shit on WWE right now, but I, I literally, it's become so unwatchable for me, and it's such a like I was talking with Jeezwees about yeah. that, and he's like, "Isn't that heartbreaking?" And I was like, "It is heartbreaking." Yeah, like that was something that I just, I never thought that I would ever say that. They deserve it, but I, no. I just find it unwatchable. And AEW has its faults. And Many. We, we can get into that at some point. But, I don't want to talk about but, them, but but it's it's. It's engaging. Yeah. It's still engaged. I'm engaged. Anything can happen any week on AEW. Exactly. And the, and the NWA is, is the same thing. They're a different animal altogether, but they're really good at telling a story. They're trying a different presentation. Yeah. WWE deserves to lose their market. And let me talk about the fan base. So WWE doesn't care about the individual fans. And really, honestly, neither does All Elite. They don't. They, they care about the mass audience more than they care about any one fan. Right. So if you're a buying public... Where should you spend your money as a wrestling fan? Indies. Exactly. And I'll tell you why. So you could spend it at All Elite because you want to see your favorites, right? Okay, good. Go get your shirt. Go watch the show. Maybe it'll entertain the, the heck out of you. But as a diehard fan, you got to spend every last dollar on the Indies and you got to talk about it on social media and you got to tell your friends you go because it's like investing in Bitcoin, Right. Right now, buying a ticket to WWE is like buying Bitcoin when it's $60,000 a coin, as opposed to buying it when it was in two, 2013 yeah. when it was a dollar a coin. Yeah. So if you, so let's take Winnipeg, for instance, because I'm here. If you supported local wrestling and you went every show and you got Kenny Omega's autograph on a shirt, on a picture, five times a year for three years, and you had like 30 pieces of memorabilia signed by Kenny Omega, you now could sell that on the internet and make probably a 500 times profit. Right. Right? You could do that. Definitely. So now everyone's going to say, well, Kenny Omega is a generational talent. It never happens. Except who was it 10 years before that in Winnipeg? Chris Jericho. Yeah. Who was wrestling independent shows. And who was it before that, 15 years before that? Roddy Piper. Yeah. So it does happen. Now take Texas, for instance. Take Florida. It probably happens a lot more often. Take the Northeast Indies. It happens all the time. Any of the indies, really. So, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll come out and say any of the indies because, you, you, like the the names you listed, obviously are are valid. But even just the guys that come through on their way up, yes, a guy like Austin Aries, who was already you know he was he's kind of a pariah now, but he was uh, he was a big, very deal, talented, very talented guy. He came through um, Steel Town. He was already a big name, but Rob had a relationship with him. He brought him into Steel Town. I had to hang out with Austin Aries. It was I th- thought he was a wonderful guy like mm-hmm. he, i got along with him well he rolled in the ring with me blah 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 but yep. um you know i got to do that with him uh, jimmy jacobs you know he's, he's that he's, nicest he's guy in the world super nice the best he's been through i've met him many times now he's been through many times great guy he went and wrote for wwe forever and now he's an impact and now he's with impact like yeah you the, the indies is a gold mine if you're a wrestling fan because those guys are coming through. Michael Elgin's another one. Yeah. He's a bit of a pry as well, but, you know, tremendous talent. I mean, yeah. real talent. So you're talking about guys that were already established coming to any shows. Yeah. I'm uh, talking about you don't know who the next Kenny Omega no, is going to be. No, you don't know who the next Kenny Omega is, but even when Michael Elgin was coming through, he wasn't like, he wasn't the, the sweetheart he became at that time. He came through Yorkton in 
I want to say, was CWE in 2013 with Billy Gunn and Road Dogg. That was 2010. 2010. Okay. So he wasn't like, he was respected, but he wasn't like the big draw he was then. Um, And I got to see him and I was like, well, this guy's. Do you know why Michael Logan was so talented at that level? I made him a top guy in WFX. The minute I saw him, he was a natural heel. Yeah. No gray area. He's and he's one hundred percent that way. You can't mix him with a baby face. No. You can't mix him as a baby face. He is your heel. And where is the money in independent in any wrestling? Your heels draw your yeah. money. You can't make you can't make a top 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 baby face without somebody that everyone hates. Yeah. So you need the heel, and that's what made Michael Elgin special. So as an indie fan, if you okay, if you're a wrestling fan support your local indie and i mean not once every six months when they bring in a name or every three months when they bring in a name every single chance you get pick the local company you like the most and you support them like you support your local or your favorite football team yeah like you support your favorite hockey team go as much as you can because you then have a right to your voice you have a right to tell if you if you send Tony Khan an email and you say AEW this and so many fans love to express their opinion, he doesn't hear it. He doesn't want to hear no. it. He thinks you're a bot if it's negative. Yeah, that's apparently so. And if if Vince McMahon, you think he, you're going to get him? You're, he's not going to hear it either. Trust me. That's why Dolph Ziggler has been a mid Carter for the last fifteen years. Yeah, you can get to the local promoter. You can get, and he'll tell the local booker, hey, you know, the these guys are buying tickets all the time. This is what they like. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers, in their pro store, they know who's marketable by what jerseys they sell. Yeah. Right? And if you notice, their marketing material coordinates with what jerseys they sell. Right now, it's Zach Caleros. Now, I know every American fan's going on, Zach Caleros, right? But that's how they know who to market to the masses, it's based on merchandise sales. Right. Right? So you fans have the ability to, to carve a niche with the local wrestling companies, the independent wrestling companies. But it comes with support. You got to be out there. You got to So I say 150 is the magic number. I think there's more like 300 in the market. That 300 has to step up and it's like investing. You want more entertainment? Buy more tickets. Yes. Because then the promoter's got to spend more. And if he doesn't, you hold him accountable and stop going. And and that's I pre- used to preach that a lot when I was when I was in Yorkton and I was helping CWE try to promote the shows because it was a it was a notoriously hard market to like they've got a good base now, but it was very difficult for them to build that base. Like mm-hmm. there was times where I thought they're never coming back because it was just it was so difficult to build that market. But I talked to wrestling. Well, what, what would their market be now? I well, like what what are they drawing? Yeah. You know, I one fifty. No, I think a little better than that. Last show I saw it looked like uh, two hundred. Wow, not it's not like promoter's probably throwing a party. Well, Danny Warren. Yeah, and and but he's worked at that. He's try. He specifically tried to book Yorkton for years and yeah. years and like he tried. Well, really, it's a four hour drive from Winnipeg. Winnipeg he, doesn't have enough market. He tried close really by. hard, but I there's lots and lots and lots of wrestling fans in Yorkton, but they'd always tell me the same thing. Oh, I'm going to catch them next time. I'm like, there won't be a next time. Yeah. I, like I tell them, I'm like, there will not be a next time. I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't come to this show, there might not be a next time. And, and it's, it's the same way with anything, but specifically with wrestling, because the margins are so tight Yeah, with, with independent wrestling, there, there won't be a next time. So to your point, if a show is running, 
you are a wrestling fan. You've got some disposable yeah. income. Go. Yeah. If Go. you're a dedicated fan. And and if it's if it's not a good show or whatever, that's a then whole you, other Then can- you send an email to the promoter exactly. and tell him what he did that, wrong. He'll read it. That's a, another kettle of fish that you can deal with. Yeah. But it, it's not something that if you didn't go, you can't complain when they don't you come back. You get a heck of a lot more say at your yeah. local independent level. So that that's a no-brainer, and it's on the fans. I love the fans. They're a very important part of the equation, but and they should know they're important, but they have to... They have to invest themselves. Absolutely. Okay, so let's let's move on a little bit from that and into something else. Um, this is a this is probably a little bit delicate, but producer Chris, be careful where you go. I, I'm being very careful here. I'm choosing my words carefully um, because I know the answer to this question, but it's a question that I think a lot of people would want to hear, especially the people listening with other promotions or maybe some guy who's got aspirations of starting his own league at some point. Have you ever? Because you deal with a lot of egos in yeah. wrestling have you ever had to deal with talent just flat out saying i'm not going to execute your vision <laughs> so are you asking so, so let me get this straight you're asking me if i went to a talent and said this is what i want and he flat out said no pretty much yeah yeah let's I've go had that. that i've had that okay so let, let's talk about that yeah let, i'll let, tell you the exact scenario let, let's talk about let's talk about the big one you want to talk about the big one or you want There's to? two. There's okay. three. I'm going to tell three different You're stories. Tell three? Okay, yeah. let's let's start. Same show, two of them happened. Okay. And they were very good friends and they were, I lost control of my room once. Right. I was sick as a dog. This should not have happened. But the first one was I had Joey Mercury booked against Brian Christopher, the late Brian Christopher. And you know what? In my mind and on paper, that's a, that's a freaking amazing, amazing match. match. And I wanted Joey Mercury to go over. And the reason was because I always want heels strong. Always. Every chance. Because I can bring the baby faces back. I can get the baby faces over. But right. if you fail to get the heels over, you're you're screwed. So I go to Joey and I say, I'm going to I'm gonna go talk to Brian, but I'm, I want you to go over. And we'll get together and we'll figure something out. You go to Brian and he's like, I'm not putting him over. I'm a bigger star. So Ooh. I'm stuck, right? You're right. Yeah. doesn't happen to me often. And by 2010, it did not happen to me because the way I handled the situation in 2008, I, I sent the message that I would never let it happen. Right. So jo- Joey was awesome. I found out later he was critical of me for the way I handled it, but he said, I'll do whatever he needs me to do. Yeah. You're paying me. I'm, I'm, I'm easy to please. And he went out and he put him over a great match. So crisis averted. Professional. Professional. Very professional. So later that night, we were doing a wild card rumble, and I wanted Chris Masters to go over because it was going to lead to a program with Wable Star. So Rikishi's in the the rumble. So Rikishi assumes he's going over because who's going to eliminate him, right? Right. So I said, no, no, I'm going to put Chris Masters over. So Rikishi's like okay, how do you want it done? And I said, well, you know, the guys will basically all gang up on you yeah. after you've been in for a bit and toss you. I have a feeling that Rikishi might have been worried about, like he, he was hurting. Yeah. Like, he carries a lot of weight, right? Literally. So I, I got the vibe he didn't want to do it because of, because like, it's not like he's just going to take a clothesline over the top rope, right? Yeah. So I think he was worried about the landing. He doesn't, yeah, he doesn't I take, don't know. He I doesn't want to take a heavy duty bump. I don't know why yeah. I was getting pushback, but I was getting pushback. 
So I said, well, you got to get eliminated so that Chris goes over. And he's like, well, here's what I got in mind. And we're going back and forth. And finally, I got tired of, because I hate the negotiation. Right. I hate it when I'm dealing with trans. I hate it when I'm dealing with payoff, right? So finally, I said, okay, I trust you. you you've been around long enough to know, how, but Chris is going over. So Rikishi, the, the gimmick was Rikishi was going to get knocked out. Now, I probably failed to communicate to the referees that they had to eliminate him based on a knockout. Right. And the refs didn't, or they didn't get it. I might have communicated. I don't remember. I'm going to take the blame for it because I lost control of the situation. It's on me. So Rikishi said no. Or he said no. to He, he, he rebooked what I wanted yeah. his way. So he ends up taking a bump and getting color. And they'd used a weapon, a chair shot right. or something. And Chris goes over and eliminates the last guy, but Rikishi's still laying there. <clears throat> so the fans think he's not eliminated, so they don't pop on the finish. It's dead. Yeah, it's one of the worst, that's, that's bad. Worst finishes I've ever seen. Yeah. It's a rumble. I, I failed. Yeah. It's not Rikishi's fault. It's not Chris's fault. It's not the referee's fault. I was the booker. I failed. I failed because I was out of energy. I was not feeling well. And... I, I should have pushed harder for what I had envisioned. Right. But I also should have figured out better how to communicate what he envisioned to make sure we were all on the same page. Yeah, I mean, you you failed in that aspect. He he certainly didn't do you any favors with that booking that finish. For we himself. stopped doing business after Cause, that. Because that's, that's a bad finish. He should know better yeah. as, a, as a talent who'd been around. Yeah, we stopped yeah. doing business after, and it, it, it pained me because I'd used him a lot, and he was, a, he yeah. was very instrumental in yeah. my growing and my I could see that souring things though yeah so it happened to me twice in one night uh it's not frequent and certainly in WFX it never happened that locker room was the best locker room I think ever assembled in wrestling sorry to be but it, no it, if you ask the people that were there they'll they'll tell you that sure ask Johnny Fairplay ask Eric Cannon ask Wable Star ask you know I'll name all the I'll drop everyone's name um even Nikolai Volkov, the late Nikolai yep. Volkov. Um, so here's what happened. I've seen it worse. I've seen it is amazing. You know, I'm going to tell a story, and they're all going to downplay it now because they're all in the same company, and they yeah, it's bad. Yeah. So l- yeah, let's talk. So about that 2007, one. I was in. I, w- I was as a guest at a PCW show. I no longer was a partner in the company, and Andrew Shellcross, who uh, is a man's man, yeah, and proud and shrewd. He brought in Samoa Joe to work with Kenny Omega. Now, he at this point knew Kenny Omega was a big deal. Yeah. But the whole world didn't know that yet. Kenny was starting to catch on, but it was... And Andrew wanted to build Kenny Omega. In fact, everybody listening to this podcast, sorry if I've bored you yet, but if you wanted Kenny Omega matches, uh, AJ Styles and Samoa Joe from when Kenny was in his formative years... Hit up Andrew Shellcross on Facebook yeah. and try to buy the the matches from him. You know, try to get some video of it because he has it. So anyway, Andrew goes to Joe. Hey, Joe, uh, can, you, can you put Kenny over? Nope. So Andrew comes to me and he's like, I just asked Joe to put Kenny over. He said, no. I said, did you ask him what he wanted to do instead? He said, no. And he asked if I would go and see if I could break the ice and try to talk to him. I went back there and there was like, I didn't even get a chance to break the ice. Yeah. Like it was tense. Like it was just, so Joe said no. And then, um, he refused to put over Kenny Omega. And right. I bet you if he had the choice today, yeah, there'd be no question about it. For sure. 
Now, there was an excuse given later by Bill Barons that while Joe was wrestling for the TNA championship the following Sunday, so Dixie Carter didn't want him to do a job. doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So here's what Joe should have done, much like Rikishi did. Um, I can't put him over with a clean pen because of the pay-per-view, and I think Dixie will get mad about it. If you can get permission from Dixie, I'll, I'll take the pin. But here's what we should do instead, and he should have suggested a way to put Kenny over. Right. Right? Like DQ or something, anything, right? There's a million different ways. Sure. The discussion should start at that point. It should not end at that point. It shouldn't be no. You're, you're screwed yeah. if you end it at that point. Now, I know a lot about Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega is not my biggest fan, but I like him, yeah. and I respect him. One thing I'll tell you is Kenny Omega is the least political guy in the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was like, okay, well, whatever. He just went with the flow. He went and talked to Joe. They worked out a match. Now, Andrew got even more mad because not only did Joe refuse to put Kenny over, he then worked maybe eight minutes and finished him pretty solidly. Right. And Andrew was mad and rightfully so. So he, he basically, like it was a competitive match, but Joe decisively pinned the local yeah. hero. So Andrew's mad. So I followed Andrew up. He's going to go up and talk to Joe. Now, Andrew can fight. He's a big guy. And too. he's got balls of steel. Yeah. He would go right up to Joe and he'd fight him. Yeah. And he, I guarantee you, if Andrew was in the studio right now, he'd tell you he doesn't lose too many fights and he wasn't scared of that fight. No. And Joe might be the toughest guy in the business. I don't know. Who knows? It's not a shoot, right? But I think Shellcross was going to fight him that night. Yeah. So, Joe, so Shellcross said, you know, come with me. And I'll, I didn't know what was going to happen. So the conversation, I believe, I'm going off memory, went something like this. He's like, uh, Andrew went in and he's like, Joe, what was that? And Joe said, well, Dixie wouldn't have wanted me to do a job. And he said, Andrew, if you don't like it, don't book me. And even if you do like it, don't book me again. Right. That's how it ended. I thought that Joe should have handled that a lot better. Sure. I think Andrew could have handled it better too. And I think the only innocent person in that is, is Kenny. But it's not Andrew's fault. He's paying the guy, although I think he didn't pay him, actually. (laughs) I think there was a penalty of no payoff for you. But it comes down to when the guy says he won't do the job, that should be the start of the conversation of what we are going to do, not the end of the conversation. So Joe flat out refused to put over Kenny Omega. And Andrew, you know, to this day probably thinks Joe's a bit of a dork for it. Uh, it's got to be a, one of those weird conversations now that Joe is in, in 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 the roster with Kenny Omega. I mean, Kenny Omega walks in the room, Joe looks, oh, you, you know. I wonder well, if they even remember I I know Kenny will remember. Uh, Kenny it. will remember it, but like I Joe might not. I I would I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't. Yeah. But like that when that's going to be awkward. Like it's going to be a, a, an awkward thing. I mean, they're both professionals, but let's be honest, we're all humans. We all have egos and and Joe decided not to put over like the biggest star in the world. Now. Now. Yeah. And so it, will the biggest star in the world want to do business with him? Kenny, well, Kenny I, will. Yeah. Kenny, Kenny Kenny's the, the type of guy that... But we also don't know what kind of stroke... Well, we know Kenny has stroke there. Sure he does. I'm sure Kenny probably decides what he's going to be doing next, and yeah. Don probably has some say in that too. So at some point, they might work again if, if Joe gets hot it, enough. If they're smart, they will do it, and they will talk about this. Well, they can buy the footage from Andrew. Do this, Andrew needs to sell like, this footage. Do this inside baseball thing, not too inside. Well, but, you could tell the story. But yeah, like the... Uh, now, let's be critical of AEW for one minute. Let's do it. Okay. When they tried to get this Christian-Kenny Omega match over and they tried to tell the story about Winnipeg. That was... It was the flattest... Yeah, it was poorly done. Oh, 
and Don booked it. Yeah, it was done badly. Don should never have any access to the book. I don't think he does anymore. Well, like Tony should never have gone for it because it was yeah. a terrible, it was unbelievable. And I mean that in a negative way, yeah. in an extremely negative way. So if you're going to tell the story, what you have to do is in 2008, Samoa Joe refused to do business with Kenny Omega properly. Right. And then, you, but you'd have to be creative in how you did it. Yeah. Well, you have to, you have to tell a story in a way that's not like. Joe thought he was big league. Yeah. It's too big. Joe just did not want to do it. Yeah. Type, type thing. And I mean, people are going to understand that and wrestling, I mean, the, the shines off the apple, so to speak, but there's a way to do it that you're not. So remember this. If you want to see this match where Samoa Joe refused 100% to put over Kenny Omega, get it Andrew Shellcross. Yeah, he's, he's on, on Facebook. Too. Yeah, he's on Twitter. And ask him to sell you that video. And, and you should. Any Anybody who's listening who has some money to do that sort of thing, you should absolutely well, do it. Because How much is he going to charge you for one match? Well, I don't know. Maybe. I think if a thousand people all buy that match for, say, $6, he makes $6,000, he should be happy. Absolutely. Right? If he puts it on Facebook, he's going to get 75,000 views and he's going to make money. Okay, so... Sorry, not Facebook, YouTube. Let's let's just say that you're in the Andrew Shellcross position uh, in this scenario. Joe just flat out says no. How do you how do you book that to 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 please Joe but also get Kenny Omega over. I'm I'm putting you on the spot big time here. We didn't. So I just told you but, I failed with Rikishi. Exactly. But but now you've got. Uh, we're looking back with revisionist history. You've yeah. got 2020 vision here. Starts so. the conversation. First thing I don't walk up to Joe and say you're put. Can you put him over? I don't give him a yes or no question. Yeah. You're putting him over. No. 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 How do you say it? Yeah. If you demand it, you're you're going to get a pushback. So you go to him and you say, okay, so. I don't know if you're aware of Kenny Omega. Maybe you've heard of him. And if you haven't, that's okay. Because you don't want to make it sound like Kenny's a big deal. Because Joe might not. Yeah. Probably hadn't heard of him. So you say, here's the the guy is really talented. Um, we're really working to get him real over. Okay. So the whole reason why we're bringing you in is because you, after this match, we want people to believe he can run with you. Right. So what what can we do to make Kenny look like a million dollars? And Joe should pick up what you're laying down and say, well, I, I, if you want, I could put him over, right? That that should yes. be the conversation. So you open up, you lean on Joe's expertise, and then Joe will tell you what he what he hasn't, what he was willing to do. He'll throw an idea and then say, okay, there's not, I guess you wouldn't entertain putting him over, would you? Right? Give him an, don't box him in. Yeah. Right. And if he says, well, I can't because of the pay-per-view on Sunday, oh, yeah, I, I get it. Don't push at that point. Then say, okay, we need Kenny real strong at the end of this. How do you want to do that? Keep pushing that yeah. you want. Keep reinforcing how strong Kenny has to be at the end of it, right? And you should get there. I had another problem, actually, in 2010. It jogs my memory. Um, so th- how he should have done it is have a conversation, leave it open-ended, get Joe to buy in. By giving the idea, make right. it Joe's idea, and and ask him and sl- slide it in there that you want him to, to do the job and see where he where he's at. If he says no, don't don't go at him for it. Say, oh shit, right? Okay, well let's let's he's let's make sure Kenny's strong. That's the number right. one. You want the return on investment. Kenny's got to be strong from it. Right now, Shellcross can make a ton of money off that tape with Kenny doing the job. Yeah. So all that stress that night is now worth money. 
But so. you don't know it's going to be at the time, though. I can understand why it was a stressful oh, situation. I don't him. blame Andrew one bit. No. Like, you're paying a guy to come in, you bought his airfare, and you get that? It's it's irresponsible of the talent. Okay, Joe so... Joe is the bad guy in that. Let, let's, let's move on to something a little more light here. Um, <laughs> I've heard this story uh, secondhand, thirdhand, fourthhand. Don't ask about anybody's injury. No injuries. Okay, good. No injuries. Uh, I want to know about... And this is a local story, so you'll, if, if you're not a local, you'll have to listen to this, but it's still very entertaining, and I'm sure Mike's got the deets on this. So Bobby J, Bulldog Bob Brown. Oh, you gave him a golden shower. Exactly. So how, <laughs> like you're, you're saying that like, oh, I should be, oh, okay. You know, it's like oh, yeah. they, they went to Wendy's. Oh, okay. Yeah, you pissed on him. Yeah. Yeah. Why? How? <laughs> like what? Okay. This is not, this is not, this is not something, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. Everybody knows the story. No, nobody knows the story. So here's what happens. So beautiful Bobby J is an independent wrestler who had some job matches on WWF TV in the early 90s. He's also a local promoter and everyone likes him. Great guy. He's 56 years old, still active in the ring. So the story goes, and I heard this from Bobby himself, was that they, they were going on, on the road for Tony Canelo. Now, Tony's a local legend, too. Yeah. So, and he'll come on the podcast at some point, too. As seen on All Elite Wrestling. Yes, and WFX Wrestling. I wonder which which one made him more famous. (laughs) (laughs) So, the one, there's a van full of guys going to the show, and they might have been drinking, or they might have just been drinking a big gulp. Another big gulp. Yeah. These big gulps are bad news. And my understanding is that Bulldog Bob Brown is driving behind that van. Right, and they're they're going and you know driving like a convoy. Yeah. So Bobby J's got to take a piss, and <laughs> he gave the bulldog a golden shower. Um, so here's what happens. So Bobby they they decide they don't want to pull over. So Bobby decides he's going to piss in the cup and just toss it. Oh, oh out yeah, the window. I got you. Yes. Yeah. So obviously, when you're going to do that, you look out the rearview mirror and you make sure there isn't anyone trailing. Right? Yeah. Or they've got their window closed. (laughs) Yes. So the story goes, he throws it up and there's Bob driving right behind and he gets it on his windshield and the window may have been down. Yeah. But he thought it was just a drink. Right? He doesn't realize that he got pissed on. (laughs) So the golden shower. So my understanding is they get to the event and Bob's mad and he gets in, he gets in the locker room. Oh yeah. Which one of you guys threw your drink out the window? It hit my windshield. Yeah. (laughs) I'm all wet and acknowledged that he got wet with what was straight piss. So Bobby J, in fact, gave the bulldog, Bob Brown, legend, legendary. Absolutely legendary. A golden shower. Now I got another bulldog, Bob Brown story. This one I wasn't there to see, but the person who did see it is reliable and he told me. So here's what happens. So WWF is doing what was the WWF challenge TV taping in Brandon. Might have been the Winnipeg taping, actually. They did Superstar, Superstars in Winnipeg and Challenge in Brandon in 1992, right when Ric Flair was the champ. 91, 92. Ric Flair was the right. champ, and he was just about to drop it to Bret Hart. In Regina. Razor Ramon yeah. started. This was the Winnipeg swing of that of that run. So, Marty Jannetty knew Bulldog Bob Brown from Central States Wrestling. Right. He was his tag team partner and tag team champion. So Marty Jannetty, well, the guy who saw it, I'm not going to drop his name because he might want to stay out of it. 
he saw Marty Jannetty walk up to Shawn Michaels and he said, guess who's here? And Shawn goes, who? Bulldog Bob Brown. And Shawn said to Marty, oh, fuck. He better not be working, is he? <laughs> <laughs> and Bob refereed and the way he did his counts, yeah. he had this weird way of counting where he hit the mat once and bounce his hand. Right. One, One two, two, three. Yeah. Right. So when Bobby Heenan was doing commentary of Bob Brown refereeing, he goes, what's with this referee? How many times is he going to hit the mat? <laughs> so Bob, Bob's a legend. I never actually met Bob, so yeah. I shouldn't tell stories about him, but the stories about him are epic and legendary. He was, he was fired up. Like yeah. there was one time where he was, they had a crew meeting at the WFWA and he, he asked the guys for feedback about, about how they're going to make the shows better because they were drawing nobody. And uh, he, he's, he's getting in a huff because everyone's putting up their hand and questioning the booking, and he was the booker. Right. So one guy puts up his hand and, and says, well, we, we've been running the same finishes every show, and it's, I think the fans are, they can spot what we're going to do. We're do. We did the same finish two weeks in a row. So Bob says, oh, yeah, well, uh, uh, well, in the NFL, they run the same place every goddamn week. <laughs> and so, so Dave Pinsky says, oh, I just outed the guy. <laughs> Dave Pinsky says, yes, but the NFL draws 65,000 fans and yep. we're drawing eight. <laughs> oh, my God. So Bob, Bob got all in a huff. And then he started saying, oh, it's hot in here. Oh, and he, and he's, and he starts panting and he ends up getting, he ends up going out of the building in a stretcher and they think he had a heart attack. Oh my God. Now I've heard stories that it was as embellished as, oh yeah. Jesus, it's the big one. Yeah. And I only say that word because I'm doing an imitation and Bob, that was Bob's favorite word, but it turned out he just had indigestion. It wasn't a heart attack. So. Well, that, that, that's good news. Yeah. That's, and that's a good story. Uh, I think we need to, to move on to something a little more somber, but we should definitely talk about uh, the late caveman Brodo. Yeah. Um, I think that's something. That so nobody is going to understand who Caveman Broda was. No. But if you and that, unless Jericho's you're from Winnipeg. Book, yeah, and uh, Chris Jericho mentioned him in his book. So. Yeah. so, if you're from Winnipeg, you've yeah. saw him. If you went to Chalmers Definitely. Community Club, you know him. If you if you were at all a fan of local wrestling, you know who Caveman Broda was. So when I was 16 years old and uh I was breaking in as a ref, I'd go help with the ring every chance I got. And Broda's thing was he was the ring guy. He liked to set up the ring yeah. and get a little bit of extra money and so I always go help him set up. I didn't do takedown because after the show, I didn't have the time to, but yeah. I always did set up with him and I developed a kinship with him and he was extremely, extremely nice. And he was in a business where there's a lot of guys who are playing a role and they're bullies and a 16 year old comes around. They sometimes will choose to pick on the young guy. Yeah. I believe in that culture. I believe you have to earn your respect. Yes. I believe you have to, you don't, this whole, this whole welcoming culture in wrestling isn't, it's, it's misguided. When you break in, you should be, you should want to earn people's respect. Right. As opposed to have them give it to you unconditionally. Caveman Brody gave me the respect unconditionally when a lot of people didn't. So I had it made though, Vance Nevada, Steve Stryker. There was a lot of guys that did give me that, but Caveman Broda was not one of Vance's right. boys who always looked out for me, took care of me, was very, very nice to me. So I heard recently that he passed away. I think he was 60, 67. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't sudden. He'd had health problems, but like 
the reason I became th- that I transitioned from referee to in ring wrestler was Broda t- was booking some shows and he said, "Yeah, you can wrestle for me. Yeah, I, I don't have to ref." He's like, "No, no, I'll pay you. I'll pay you whatever twenty five dollars right. in nineteen ninety six. It was a big payday. That'd be a big payday. Yeah, yeah. So he treated me like gold. He was always, always someone super nice to me. And one of my big regrets when WFX was the big deal in town was I never paid it forward to guys like Broda. Right. I'm not saying I would have put Broda in the ring, but invite him down to the show. Sure. I didn't know how to reach him, and I didn't go out of my way to reach him. Right. Him, but like Bobby Collins, same thing. Brian Jewell. Like yeah. there's so many guys. Guys like Brian Car- was even Carrie Brown. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I should have dedicated this first episode to Broda, but I, I'm glad we get a chance to talk about him, and I think anybody should Google him, read up on him, and understand that anything you read, kindly about him or positive is a thousand percent understated yeah it doesn't even scratch the surface of how great of a person he was i i had never had the pleasure but anything anything i've ever heard from locals has always been like just the nicest guy yeah you could you could ever and welcoming yeah welcoming everyone great now back to the point i was making sure to change topics but i mentioned it people are going to be mad about this so the culture of wrestling, and I'll talk about this a lot in future podcasts, but I'm going to talk about it right now. Rookies, people who want to get in should not have an open door. You should have to open the door. Right. That door should not be open. You should knock at the door and you should prove you belong on the other side of that door. And there's so many people who say, oh, it should be inclusive and they're wrong. You can't walk onto a football field at any age. You can make a football team at 12 years old, but it gets to a point where the level, it levels up. Yes. And if you can't make the cut, you don't make the cut. And you learn that by 15 and 16 years old. Right. So there isn't a 12-year-old wrestling league. So there's not a place where it has to be inclusive to everyone. You need to have the talent and the physical ability to do it. Yes. And if you don't, you got to look for a supporting role around it, and you have to earn your respect that way. Respect should not be gifted just because you want in that door. You have to earn it. You have to, you have to gain it. Now, I used to be a bully, and there's going to be people who tell horror stories of how bad I used to be. And I still, like, there's people who still to this day think I'm an asshole because right. of the way I was. And I wouldn't change it. Because when I broke in, Brian Jewell didn't welcome me with open arms. He chopped me every time I walked by. Yeah. He treated me like a rookie. I earned whatever respect he ever had for me. And I don't know if it was a lot, but I earned whatever. Chi-Chi Cruz was my hero when I was 12, 14 years old because he was that talented on the local scene. Yeah. He didn't just say, hey, welcome to, but he was always nice to me. Very nice, yeah. But I had to earn his respect. It has to go back to that. You have to earn your way in the door. And if you can't do that, you don't belong in the fraternity, in the brotherhood. Absolutely. Or, or brother and sisterhood, because there's a lot of talented females yeah. now. Now, I believe you should rib and ha- not haze, but you, they should pay their dues when they come in. Yeah, like, there is a difference between well-natured ribbing and like, you know, abuse, abuse. Okay. So let's that, talk about what abuse is. Okay. So there needs to, there obviously needs to be a line. I, I don't believe I, I always hated the property destruction, 
ribs where somebody you know would mess up your gear like i'd he- I hear about guys and this didn't happen often obviously but i heard about one guy getting his gear cut up with scissors i'm like if it costs him money it's it's rude yeah, exactly and and like it's ge- gear's expensive yeah it's hard to come by number two uh at that time now it's pretty easy but back then it was like you had to know somebody who knew somebody like locally it was like oh so-and-so's old lady makes gear and you got this kind of you know, shitty gear. Yeah, the best, professional the, gear is more accessible now. It's way more accessible. But, but it, guys need to buy it and get it. And it's still very expensive. And yep. guys definitely need to buy it and get it, for yeah. sure. Costuming is very important. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, any any property destruction, I was always against. I agree with you yeah, on that. Yeah, but. If, it, if it's going to cost the guy money, I don't like it. I think ribs where they went after someone's property, though, there was usually a receipt for it. it yeah, was a, it, generally A lot of times speaking, it was a guy who stiffed on a payoff yeah. or didn't pay his fair his share of trans. Yeah. Something like that, and they, and they went to the extreme level. What I'm saying is calling a guy rookie. Yeah, that, that's, that's... Telling, yeah. suggesting he does things. Yeah. Like, okay, let me... Set say, up the ring. Yeah, go set up the ring. Could you go get me a Coke? The guy who's the main event on the show, he should give you the loony or the toonie, to, the two dollars to go get it, and you should go get it for him, and and he should begin to respect you that you do that stuff for him, and it shouldn't be a question. You shouldn't have to ask the guy to go do it. It yeah. should be expected, because I guarantee you, the guy that's telling you to do that used to get told to do it. That's the cycle. Yeah. Right. It's not a cycle of abuse. How I gained respect amongst guys and. Some some of it was backdoored because Vance was a power player and and he and he set the table, but at the same time, if somebody said, "Hey ref" or "Hey rookie, go," could you go do this? I didn't say, "No, do it yourself." Oh yeah, I sure. get thrown out of the locker room for sure. Right there, you go. Now I was a rookie who ribbed. Like I I I'll tell you, I once my best friend at the time, and he's still a very good friend of mine, Andy Anderson, is in the ring against a guy he's never worked with before. Max Devlin from Calgary. The late he, he's not with us anymore, but he's a big guy, jacked up. Yeah, or he he wasn't vascular, but he was just big. big, big and thick. So they get in the ring. It's a tag match, and I I go to I go to the Calgary guy and I said, I'm sorry, but my friend wants to shoot with you when I when I ring the bell. And the guy said, What? Yeah, he's gonna he's planning to shoot with you when I ring the bell. So the guy says, Tell him no. <laughs> And he's shaking his head. So I go to Andy and I said, Andy, I can't believe this. The Calgary guy is going to shoot with you when I ring the bell. And Andy's like, what? <laughs> yeah, he's pl- he told me to tell you to, that he's going to shoot with you. So Andy's like, no, no, yeah. I'm no, tell him no. So I go back and I said, um, he says, no way. He's, he's definitely going to test you. So then the guy said, tell him to bring it. So I go back to Andy and I said, he's said he's going to bring it. Yeah. So, (laughs) so then Andy said, he's shaking his head no. And I go, okay, ring the bell. And they go and guy takes him behind and they amateur down to the mat right away. And the guy says, you really want to test me? And Andy's like, no, why do you want to test me? And they figured out there, but that could have went real bad. Yes. Like who knows how that's going to go, right? Like you could see a a leg sweep and a guy getting on top and and really trying to screw with the other guy, right? So as a rookie, or I'd only been in the business two years and as a ref doing that, I could have really got, like that could have really caused trouble. Yeah. But to me, it was amusing. It's very amusing, but I also, it also makes me think like, 
do you wonder why there were times when people didn't like you? So the thing about being a ribber is you get an impulse. In your mind, you think, oh, I want to pull a rib, and you can't resist it. It's unbelievable. You want to rib so bad. It's, it's, it's a gratifying feeling. Right. I got better at it over time. But the whole idea is you take the guy who takes himself too serious, and he'll end up ribbing himself after you rib him. So I, I pulled a lot of ribs. I, I'll tell you a rib that I pulled was <laughs> I was in on it with the, Donnie DiCaprio is the best ribber I ever met. Donnie DiCaprio. So one, so what it was is Donnie DiCaprio told me he had this, sir, like a, it was like a mouth pump right? and he had straight caffeine in it and he injected it under his tongue. And Adam Knight was walking around with like an orange juice or a drink or something. And DiCaprio said, Hey, I need you to distract Adam Knight. I'm going to shoot this into his, his orange juice. I said, what will it do to him? That's what I wanted right. to know first. And he said, he'll just be really, really hyped up. Like it won't, it won't do anything. Yeah. It's just a straight shot of caffeine. So I said, it's not, it's not going to do any harm. He's like, no. So <laughs> Adam Knight's walking up and he's like, Hey horse. And he's like, yeah. And I said, um, I was going to tell you something about your match. And I see DiCaprio shoot it into his drink. I said, uh, you know what? I forgot. I'll tell you later. And I see him take the drink and he, he's got caffeine. Yeah. So not five minutes later, he's like, he's wired. Hey, what do you, what do you want to do with match? Hey, and he, he's yeah. like really, really wired. So <laughs> you know, he, all night he's just wired. I wanted to do that. I was going to do a toast with all the boys. I was going to grind up a whole bunch of Viagra. Oh yeah. And put it in the wine and say, you know, we've had, we've had some great success. So we're going to do a toast. And I was going to lace the wine with Viagra. So they all get hard-ons in the back. Right. And, you know, guys would be giving it a pep talk. Come on, please, please. I need you to go down. Please. <laughs> right. They, they'd be trying to pep yeah. talk their hard, their woodies. Right. That, that they, they got a problem. That's the kind of rib I, I like to do. I've, I've wanted to do even sicker sicker ribs, right. honestly, but Adam Knight, I, I used to have caffeine pills. I actually still do, but back then I had, I think they were called ephedrine or something. Yeah. They made your heart race. You'd feel good, right? You'd lose weight. So I'd take those on show day, so I'd be in a zone. So one night, Adam Knight say, hey, can I have a couple? So I give him a couple. So I think it was Andrew Shellcross said, you know, those look like they, they look like um, melatonin. Yeah. They could pass. So we get it in our mind that we're going to slip him melatonin. <laughs> and he's going to think he's getting ephedrine yeah. and, and he's going to want to pass out, right? So I, we're going to do this, right? And the venue owner, is Tom Manos, finds out I'm going to do this and he pulls me in and I, he's going to beat me up. Like, yeah. He's like, under no circumstances do you spike a guy's drink because if he goes to drive home and he gets in a car accident, I could be liable, liable yeah. if he has one drink. So he said, do not, if I find out you, you're putting anything in people's drink, he treated it like I was slipping him a date rape yeah. drunk, right? So those are the kind of ribs that they're, to me, they're harmless. That, and that, that is, I mean, from his perspective, I get it. But from your perspective also, it's like, that's a good rib. Yeah, that, yeah exactly. So those are the type of ribs I pull. I'm also a master of prank phone calls. Right. right? So if, if I pull a prank phone call, I call, I tell the guy, I'm Mike Davidson. I pranked this one guy, Omar Nicholas, so many times, and I'd call him and say, he'd, he'd answer, and he'd be like, hello? And I'd be, Omar, it's Mike Davidson. And he'd be like, okay, what do you want? And I said, Omar, and he'd run some wrestling shows that were really 
like awful. Yeah, yeah I remember. Low yeah. end yeah. indie. Yeah. yeah, it was the worst. And I'd call him and I'd criticize him. I'd be like, "Listen, you fat bastard!" Like I verbally abuse him a little bit. I feel bad about it now. Yeah, no, I don't. But you should never fat shame somebody. Anyway, and I'd 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 rip on him to the point where he like I once told his wife went to get in the ring and she tripped. Now. If you don't belong in a wrestling ring, don't try to get in it. It's yeah. it's actually tricky to get into. It's it is, very yeah. easy to trip. You see people do it and you think it's easy. She got in and she tripped. And I said, even your wife can't get in the ring without falling flat on her ass. Yeah. It sounds heartless, doesn't it? So I'm giving it to him. Like I, I've told, I, he was on the internet saying that somebody had harassed his son, uh, Stephen. So I called him and I was telling him who, who harassed him. I said, right. it was Chi-Chi Cruz. Okay, why does Chi-Chi want to harass my son? I said, because I don't know, but Chi-Chi did it. So then he went on the internet and started lipping at Chi-Chi Cruz, a notorious tough guy who didn't deserve it. No. So then Chi-Chi's like, listen here. And it's like, it's, it's stirring yeah. them up, right? So Omar got so mad at me. He start every time I call him. He, You're the devil, Mike Davidson. <laughs> he'd always say my. He'd yeah. say my name that way, and he he'd call Shane Madison Mecca Shane because he's yeah. the Mecca Shane Madison. So every time I call him, I'd be like Omar. It's Mike Davidson. Okay, if this is really Mike Davidson, he didn't believe it was me calling. <laughs> yeah, because he thought he thought Mike Davidson was a nice guy. Yeah, even though I was identifying myself as Mike Davidson, and then I'd screw with him, and he'd be like, Okay, now you listen here. So I I knew he didn't work and didn't want to work. Yeah. And in my mind, I considered that lazy. So I called him and I said, Omar, I've got great news for you. Uh, at the at the MTS Center, which is the NHL building, I've got you a job. Okay, you listen here right now. I do not want a job. If somebody calls me and they offer me a job, <laughs> I'm going to turn it down. I said, Omar, no, this is great. you got to take this job. It's going to pay you $12 an hour. And you got to take... Uh, okay, okay, you listen here. So I, I would stir him up all the time, right? So then... The Winnipeg Jets come back to town and everybody wants their tickets. And this is such an easy yeah. prank. You go on Kijiji and you list tickets at below face value and you put his phone number. Call Omar. Omar. So he, I call him and I said, Omar, uh, it's Mike Davidson. Okay, what do you want? I want the Jets tickets you're selling. And he's like, you listen here. Somebody put me on gg.com <laughs> and they said I have tickets to sell for, and I have no tickets. I tell people this. I've gotten 75 phone calls. He's losing his marbles. And I, I just... Every day I'd do something to him. That's the kind of prank I pull. It's relatively harmless, although it stressed the poor guy out yeah. to no end. And he got it all the time. And he, in my opinion, he deserved it because guys tried to tell him, hey, promoting wrestling shows isn't really your forte. No, they, they I, and I remember that time very well. I wasn't around at that time, but I can remember the seeing the posts for some of the shows, seeing some of the videos and just being like, oh, yeah, it was like, it, I remember people were rough on me when I started because I was really not, I really not a natural yeah, at all. Yeah. And people would be really rough on me. I was safe though. Yeah. But, and then I'd watch, I saw him and I was just like, oh, like. So you say you weren't natural, but if you're willing to work really hard, people will respect the effort. Well, and that's, that's, that's exactly it. Like I was not a natural, but I, I worked a lot and I got spots. And, so what know, Omar did was that he, he just started doing and it. And if you told him he didn't, it, it wasn't a fit, he got mad yeah. and he would, and he would beak off. So in my mind, I believe I'm protecting the business by discouraging it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm harassing the shit out of the poor guy, but I'm trying to get him out of the business. Essentially. Essentially. Yeah. And having a blast doing yeah. it. I'm a heartless prick. So that's, that's, that's the Omar Nicholas story. So I'm a master of a prank call. 
I can call with a very straight face. I can tell if I know what will stir you, I will stir you. And it's great. But for Omar, you know, people, it might have been me bullying him, unfortunately. Okay, so we've, we've talked about the ribs, and there's going to be more talk of them because I've got, I've got notes right here. I have hundreds of and them. And we're going to talk more about it. But what, what else can we expect from the Bees She's podcast in the future? Because I know you've got a couple things cooking. I know you've, you've wanted to get a few people on perhaps down the road. So what, what is your vision going forward for the Total Bees She's podcast? I'm going to share wisdom like I did today. I hope that somebody tried to listen with an open mind and understand, I told you who to market to. It's simple. I told you how to do it. Build that $500 into your cost per show in every show. You have to do it. You might lose a couple of shows. If you're start, you have to look at promoting wrestling as starting a business. You can't look at it as a hobby. Too many people do. Hey, I'm not in it to lose money. I hear it all the time. So I'm going to talk more about my, how to produce a TV show, how, how, what it's going to take for somebody to, I hear people all the time say, well, TV, and then we're going to, we're going to produce TV and they invest zero dollars into it. And then they wonder, it looks bad. And then people think your show is bad. They will not buy the, the show. It has to look a certain standard. So I'm going to talk about the standards you need to develop on an indie level, on an indie budget to produce television. And if it's even doable, it might not be right? The budget might not ever work. I'm going to talk about different stories that I've encountered, things I've heard, things I see. I'm going to be watching a lot of independent shows and telling you what I see on basically, if I can see the content, what they're doing right. I'm going to call it out like I did with Can-Am today, like I did with CWE today, PCW. Winnipeg Pro Wrestling just had an amazing show, Sellout on Saturday, yeah. Friday night. So I want promoters to understand that even though I talk like I've done it all, what they're doing today is something I may not have been able to do. What they're doing, they should be proud of. I want the fans to understand what we talk about here is there's a lot of drama that they don't see. If they watched Heels and they were like, oh, what a great series that was. Let me tell you something. It wasn't, it wasn't true to life in a lot of ways. It was in some ways. But I think the things I've seen, I've seen fights in locker rooms. I've seen finishes go way off. I've seen guys refuse to do business. I've seen old veterans come around and screw around. So I, I, when we break down those episodes, I'm going to tell you why it's realistic, why it's not realistic. And we're going to have a lot of laughs and we're just going to shoot the she's. And, you know, as I get more feedback, we're going to, we're going to loosen up and, and talk more. I'll, I'd love to tell you about the promoters I work for a lot more than just the guy was going to die of constipation. Yep. And what made Wayne Stanton eccentric and funny and over the top, like I could tell a story right now, but I'm going to save it. I'm going to talk about why I'm going directly to hell and it has nothing to do with Omar Nicholas, but that's one of the reasons. Um, and, and I'm going to laugh a lot and I hope people who listen laugh. That's the Total Bee She's podcast episode one. Next week, we will be breaking down the first episode of Heels, talking about that, what's true to life, what is Total Bee's She's. And when I'm going to run my first show. And when Mike Davidson is going to run his first show, because he, he evaded the question today. I have no itch whatsoever. But, but I believe he has the itch, and I'm going to keep pushing you. I'm going to keep pushing you, and we'll talk about it next week, Mike. Thank you.